3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Can human ingenuity triumph over inflation fast enough to keep interest rates low and the stock market humming after a day where the Dow advanced 16 points doesn't be gained 0.18 percent. Nasdaq inched up only 0.06 percent, although all were up much more during the day. That is the central question in this market. See, we've got a serious supply chain snag that's pushing up prices all over the place and incredibly strong demand fueled by a government still anxious to put money in people's pockets. But if the free market can correct itself, and it is the free market, then I think productivity increases will be able to trump price increases, which will allow the Federal Reserve to keep holding interest rates low and allow stocks to go higher. Right now, we're seeing this debate play out among some of the most powerful people in the world. Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Square and Twitter, which, by the way, reported better than expected quarter this very evening, believes that we're in an inexorable path to hyperinflation, where dollars become worthless while other storeholds of wealth retain their value. In his case, he thinks crypto will do it. Whenever you hear people using the term hyperinflation, by the way, unless they're talking about Weimar Germany or Zimbabwe or Argentina, what they really mean is high inflation. Uh, hyperinflation is hyperbole. And it's high inflation, that's what they're really worried about. Uh, that will get high inflation and the Fed will have to obliterate the economy in order to get prices under control. Al in 1980, 1982 in this country. At the same time, you've got another camp that's really polar opposite. That's personified by Kathy Wood. She's that visionary fund manager who was Tesla's biggest backer for years as it grew from a tiny, struggling automaker into a trillion dollar enterprise. Rather than inflation, Whitblies were headed for deflation because of a huge inventory buildup as well as the power of technology to keep a lid on prices. She's very wary. The last time she thought inflation would take off and she was wrong. I like your humility there. To me, this whole debate is just too ethereal, with both extremes being, well, too extreme. I think it's a mistake to focus on those big macro numbers. Instead, I want to wrestle with the inflation versus deflation debate by looking at what's happening with individual companies and their stocks, which is much more concrete and more important, can help make you a lot of money. Today some huge companies reported and they made me feel less confident in Kathy Wood's vision of a deflationary future because so many of them told us that rising raw costs are putting pressure on their ability to make money. I've always rooted, for instance, for 3M. It's a great company that my father used to rep in Philadelphia selling scotch tape and sashing dating me. It's a dividend aristocrat, great track record of innovation. Historically, they've made a ton of money from their new products. 3M is still following the same game plan, but high raw costs are muting their gains. So the stock trades roughly unchanged, despite strong organic growth that had driven the stock up big in the morning before its conference call. General Electric, on the other hand, was able to overcome both higher costs and poor congestion, delivered an excellent set of numbers. The stock rallied nicely. But when you look under the hood, there were some disappointments. Take windmills. There aren't enough orders. And in the meantime, the steel they need to make this stuff just keeps getting ever more expensive. Bad for GE. Very good for steelmakers like Nucor, which we own for the charitable trust. Still, the vast majority of GE's business lines look good to me, especially aerospace service. Although healthcare is very good. And there was a mosaic of strength all about. Oh, about the quarter. After listening to the conference call, I'm convinced that Nucor will have a good year in 2022, though. something that's not baked into the stock here. I think it's still buy at 111, down from $128 in the summer because prices will be up again next year. The analysts aren't looking for that. Unfortunately, some other industrials put up terrific numbers and meant nothing to their stocks because, again, Wall Street's so, so worried about rising costs. Think Raytheon Technologies, the defense and aerospace by Otis, the elevator company, both of which were uh, created by the United Technologies breakup. I think there's some real stupidity going on here. Otis got hit because they do business in China, and people are worried that the Chinese residential real estate market is on the verge of collapse, thanks, yes, of course, to the Evergrande fiasco. However, Chinese property companies only account for 3% of Otis's book of business. In the U.S., every line of business was on fire, including, get this, center city offices. That caught me by surprise. I think Otis and Raytheon can bounce back, if Wall Street starts believing that we can get inflation under control. Look at those stocks to be up next week at this time. Now, this inflation versus deflation debate plays out all over the place. Every single sector. Take United Parcel and Eli Lilly, two more charitable trust names, both of which reported incredible numbers that, to me, tell a story of deflation. UPS has managed to keep costs down while its volume expands, especially among small, medium-sized businesses where the real growth in this country is. If you remember, CEO Carol Tomei came on the show after the last quarter, and and the stock was pummeled, and she promised that there'd be good numbers coming up. People didn't believe her. I think United Parcel's gains came down to higher productivity, which helps keep costs lower. There were tons of short sellers here betting that UPS would lay an egg, just like FedEx did. Nope. Tomay delivered and put FedEx to shame. The cash flow, the dividend, all incredibly strong. With big gains like this, you tend to have, by the way, a second day run. So I wouldn't take profits just yet. All right. How about the controversial Eli Lilly? By the way, it was up big. One put it was down six and it finished up nice, nice three points. Most people don't think about this one as an inflation or deflation story. That's wrong. Why? Because Lilly's working on a drug that's the best hope for rolling back Alzheimer's, a disease that costs the system's fortunes, a horrible disease. Lilly could change that. I do a lot of work with the American Migraine Foundation because I'm a pretty bad sufferer of it. And that gets me involved with a slew of brain doctors. Count me a believer. I was shocked that this stock didn't really take off here, especially given some added good news about a new diabetes formulation. If the FDA gives this drugs fast track approval, this stock can be radically undervalued. The doctors I work with about brains are very excited about what Lilly's drug does against Alzheimer's. Take them seriously, even if Wall Street doesn't. But then there's oil. If we're going to tame inflation, the relative rise in oil needs to be stopped more than that later. The oil rally is the one visible force that could make the Fed tighten if it continues, uh, along with the inflation, housing, commodities, and, of course, labor. Of course, the housing market can cool on its own. That's what always happens when it gets too expensive. Commodities can go into glides, high prices, spur companies to boost production. Uh, that's something that Kathy Wood talked about in some of her tweets. Labor, intractable until we finally beat COVID. After the close, though, we got some good news from tech. Microsoft shot the lights out, massively accelerating growth in their Azure cloud business, up nearly 50%. That's extraordinary. That's year over year. It, 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 constant currency. Uh, fine numbers from AMD. Some say it knock out of the park. High-performance chips for the distancing itself from one-time king Intel. Twitter's rallying in after hours, even though the numbers weren't exactly perfect. It was better than feared. A lot of concern about companies that depend on online advertising in the face of all these new privacy enhancements doesn't seem to be heard on Twitter. The one disappointment actually surprised me. And that was Alphabet, where the cloud business came in a little weaker than expected, and YouTube took a hit. I hope it's not a turkey. I'm not fretting. Expectations got too high. That's often the story until a new climb begins. We've seen this movie before. However, when you put it all together, tech had a terrific night, and these are all companies that help facilitate deflation because their products help replace expensive human labor with cheaper hardware and software. That's good news for the Kathy Wood contingent. Here's the bottom line. When it comes to the great inflation debate that rages every day, I think the jury's still out based on what we're hearing from actual companies. Going forward, we need more stories like UPS and fewer stories, sadly, like 3M. By the end of this brutal week, I bet you we'll know the score. Let's go to Lenny in Virginia. Lenny. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Lenny. What's going on? I have a few comments and a question about GAP, ticker symbol GPS. Mm -hmm. GAP reported excellent second quarter results in August, beating revenue and earnings estimates raised guidance for the remainder of the fiscal year and has the Yeezy Gap collaboration sellouts with potential halo effect on overall sales. It was also noted on the Q2 conference call that any supply chain concerns are factored into the raised guidance,
1: yet the stock is down about 60% from the 52-week high. Is this a good opportunity to you buy You know what, Gap I'm
3: going to say yes. I am actually quite surprised the Gap's down here. And, you know, look, the Chapel Trust owns American Eagle Outfitters. That's another one. I mean, these are very, these are doing well. Are they doing unbelievably well, like at Costco? No, but I think you're buying Gap at a very good price, and I like your analysis. And I think, Lenny, you're doing high-quality work. Let's go to Phil in New Jersey. Phil,
4: hey, buddy, Doctor Kramer, how are you? I am
3: good. How about you?
4: Good, just a little, uh, you know, upset with with the with the Eagles' trade they did with you know our, our backup quarterback Joe Flacco. But I think they should have traded the coach rather than the quarterback. But needless to say hey it was always next season but uh my, my question for you is is pertaining to blackrock so i bought blackrock um prior to um its earnings okay uh, with 100 points onto this and i i i know you know it's had a nice run from earnings and i'm just trying to figure out is, is this a good stock to, this is the Cardinals. L- Listen to
3: me, Phil. I'm going to vote for you, too, I think, on uh, next Tuesday. Um, this, this team is the Cardinals, okay? Uh, they, they don't have any losses. It's really incredible. They've got great receivers. And by the way, they just got a good tight end in Zach Ertz. You want to stay low on BlackRock, and you want to buy some if anybody's looking for a good idea. How about Ann in Indiana? Anne,
0: Jim, thanks for taking my call.
3: Oh, you're quite welcome.
0: Sure. Now we've seen Snap and Facebook reports. So is Apple's privacy policy, we've seen how that's affecting their target, their ad targeting. Is this a red flag or an opportunity to buy Snap at a discount?
3: Um, I think Snap is overly discounted. It's problems. I think that Twitter showed you tonight that not all is bad. Look, there's no doubt about it. Apple is on a warpath for, for its own customers. We don't really want to be tracked. That's what Apple's doing. I bet you the next iteration is even more positive for Apple and less positive for the online. Snap has come down a lot, though. I think maybe people panic. Now, I think the jury is still out on this great inflation debate that we actually have very visibly between Jack, Jack Dorsey and Kathy Wood. Going forward, we need to see more stories about deflation, fewer stories about rising raw costs. On oh, Man Tonight, Logitech reported last night with a better than feared result. So, could this quarter be the, uh, be the push that the stock needs to break out? I'm going to talk to the CEO. And oil has continued to boil higher. But could the rally be running out of steam and nearing a top? I don't know anybody's thinking that. And Centene reported a top and bottom line beat for the third quarter, which sent the stock soaring today. I'm breaking down the port with the CEO to see if this is the beginning of a big move. So stay with Kramer.
5: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question?
3: Good question. How long will Logitech International be stuck in this penalty box? This maker of computer accessories, consumer electronics and game equipment had a huge year in 2020 as one of the biggest beneficiaries of the stay at home economy. That means they're up against some insanely tough comparisons in 2021. And you know how much Wall Street hates that. Logitech stock get this has tumbled from one hundred and forty at its peaks this summer down to the mid eighties. That includes a nasty five point seven percent decline today after the company reported its most recent quarter last night. Well the ox results were better than fear. Modest beats for both revenue and earnings management declined to raise their full year forecast. Investors headed for the hills. I didn't like the inventory number either, but we get to learn more about this. It doesn't help that they're getting hit with supply chain lows like everybody else. At this point, Logitech's now. Selling for just 19 times earnings, even though the company continues to grow, even in the face of difficult comparisons. And they keep taking market share in most of the important categories. So, could this be a buying opportunity? Let's check in with Bracken Darryl. He's the president CEO of Logitech International. Get a better read on the quarter and where his company said, Mr. Darryl, welcome back to May Money.
1: Thank you so much. Great to be here, Jim. Thanks a lot.
3: Well, Bracken, I have to tell you, when I saw the numbers, I said, okay, enough is enough. These are good numbers. they're better than fear. Gaming is terrific. Uh, the market's obviously a very, very tough market. but can you explain to people which stuff which of your uh, positives are secular growers they're going to be with us because I think you've got a lot of secular growth ahead of you
1: you know i <laughs> I feel a little uh, a little like the kid in the candy store i mean almost all of our business is in the secular growth box, which is, you know, we're, we're in there for video collaboration. It's all going to, all, all collaboration is going to move to video. We're in there for workspaces. You know, people are going to have multiple workspaces because now they're working hybrid. We're in here for gaming, which you and I've talked about so many times. It's going to be the biggest collection of sports in the world for participants and spectators. And we're in there for streaming, creating where everybody's watching everybody else, stream and create more and more hours are being spent on it. So we're in a really, really good position long term for, from a secular growth standpoint.
3: All right. Well, let, let's just pick at some of these to be sure that we know what sure, some right. of these sellers might be thinking about. How about video okay. collaboration? Uh, a miss. And yet video seems very, very hot. Could people be looking at that?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think uh, you know we, we, were, we were negative versus a year ago on video collaboration. And that's that seems kind of alarming. But you have to realize we, we more than doubled last year this time. So we really had strong growth. And, you know, and I think, you know, an underlying sellout was was up 22 percent. So it was a strong growth. We did bring our, our channel inventories down this quarter. You know, last year we sold kind of ahead of, of uh, we, we sold in ahead of sellout all year long as we were building it for this year. We're bringing it down as we're starting to, to promote some. But but overall, we feel really good about the momentum that's happening in video collaboration.
3: Uh, some people focus on the incrementally negative cash flow commentary. Could that be it?
1: Could be, you know, we 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 generally say, you know, our cash flow will look a lot like our our non-GAAP earnings. And this year, we said, well, it's not going to be quite that. Maybe seventy percent of that. And the reason for that is that we're putting more into inventory. You know, the reason we're putting more into inventory is a couple of things. One is we've made some strategic bets on inventory to make sure we've got product to sell. You know, this is a tough environment to make sure you can you know, supply you know, supply products at regular rates. Or, and the second reason, the second reason is. This big logistics slowdown, which I'm sure every a lot of people on your show have talked about, you know that has basically kept product in kind of the the air freight uh, camp more than usual, and uh, and by the way, that's also going to result in a little bit of impact on our margins, and I think that might alarm people a little bit, although our margins are really strong relative to our goals. But we said, you know, we're going to have some impact on our margins going forward because we're, we're, you know, there's two things you can have, predictability or cost. And in this case, you know, for us to have predictability in this logistics environment, we're going to have to air freight more, especially in the holidays. So that'll affect our gross margins a little bit. Right, well, and well, gross margins.
3: Because, well, Bracken, I give your stuff for the holidays. I find your stuff to be what everybody wants. I mean, honestly, that's what the kids want. My kids are gamers. Uh, are you going to have everything we need?
1: You know, I think we're going to – we're not immune to the supply chain challenges that everybody else has. But, you know, we're going to be – we just gained we just gained a ton of uh, share in gaming. You know, we're up six points in, ga- in market share in gaming. We just hit um, – we're, we're the market share leader there. We're going to have a, a lot of things to buy there. That's a big holiday thing. We're going to have a lot of streaming, creating products to buy. And we'll have a lot of mask buy some keyboards. So yeah. I think we'll have plenty for you to buy, Joe.
3: Okay. Now, I, what, what's been left out of all of this, and I'm really focused on – is the need to have your kind of equipment when I go into the metaverse. Uh, The universe that is the metaverse requires Logitech. And how ready are you for the metaverse?
1: You know, I think, you know, as I said to to start off the show, you know, I really love our positioning. And I think our positioning is a metaverse positioning, you know, which is, you know, you're just going to be always on in almost everything you're doing. And, you know, whether you're working personally or you're going into the office, you can imagine going to the office now and not having video in a room. You know, when you know that a lot of people aren't going to have aren't going to be in that office, they're going to be somewhere else. Can you imagine doing audio calls after all this? So, yeah, the metaverse is uh, is really what we're set up for.
3: Now, uh, just the gaming has no slowdown. I thought the gaming was something we did during a pandemic when we're locked inside.
1: Well, you know, uh, last year, you know, during the pandemic, you know, uh, this, the League of Legends finals surpassed the Super Bowl in live viewership over 110 million views. and It's going nowhere but up. You know, I don't think uh, this is just a temporary, tr- certainly isn't a temporary trend that, that peaked during the pandemic. This is a very long-term trend. It'll be the biggest collection of sports in the world, bigger than bigger than anything I can think of. And uh, it's it's uh, we're, we're kind of in the early innings here.
3: I couldn't agree more. And I'm just surprised. Honest, I think if everybody were 30, your stock would be up 30%. 30 or under. See, because a lot of people don't understand these games. They don't understand how compelling they are. And they all think that it's just a question of being locked inside. It's what people do for entertainment. And I think Logitech's set up for it. I think your stock's down enough. You have tons of cash. You can do whatever you want.
1: I'm super excited about where we are. You know, I love, love, love to be the underdog. It's my favorite thing in the world. So it's taken us a while to get here. So I love this positioning, Jim. Stay tuned. I like
3: that. I like that. You're the dog. And you'll be in the hunt. That's Bracken Darrell, CEO of Logitech. Uh, I wish you the best of luck.
1: Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate
3: uh, it. All right. You heard him. He's the underdog. And that money's back after the break.
5: Coming up, extra, extra. Read oil about it. Kramer goes high energy with an off-the-charts look at the market's bubbling crude.
2: Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com businessgoldcard.
3: Right now, as I said at the top, the biggest worry in this market is inflation. And the most important component of inflation is skyrocketing energy prices with oil breaking out over $84 today. But what if oil peaks? That'd be a huge positive for both the economy and 90% of the companies' S&P 500 that benefit from cheaper fuel. I know there's a widespread sense that inflation will continually, continue endlessly. The oil move is unstoppable. Lots of people talking about $100 oil. However, some of the smartest people I know are already seeing signs that crude could be nearing a the top. They think this oil rally could be on its last legs. Why? I, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. He's that legendary technician I like so much, market historian, who's been trading stocks, futures, and commodities since, uh, before I had puberty. Larry's written more than a dozen books, created tons of his own proprietary indicators, some we'll hear tonight. But I keep coming back to his work because he's got a stunning track record since the pandemic got rolling last year. That includes the boldest contrarian call I've ever seen when he called the bottom last spring, when most experts were still running from the hills. I bring this up because right now, Williams has another bold contrarian call. And you better focus on this because he's looking for a top in crude oil. Why? Remember, his methodology is all about looking at the historical data and drawing inferences from what's worked in the past. He's empirical, not ethereal. Take a look at this chart of oil from 2012 to 2014 during the heyday of higher high prices. This picture shows you, you one way to spot when a top is coming. Okay, down at the bottom, there are two very important lines. The black line shows you open interest in the oil futures. Okay, right here. Uh, that's a total number of outstanding futures contracts. And the red line shows you the net long or short positions of commercial hedgers. Every week we get commitments of traders data from the Community Futures Trading Commission, right? And uh, they show you what small speculators, larger speculators, and commercial hedgers are doing with their oil futures, as Carly Garner has often explained to us. Williams believes, I think correctly, that the commercials have the best understanding of the energy markets. These are the people who are actually involved in the industry day to day. They're not gambling. So Williams likes to look at the relationship between what the commercials are doing and the broader oil futures market. When open interest rises, it means there are more contracts being open. But you need to know who's the driving force behind those contracts. In a situation where open interest is rising, but the commercial hedgers are lightening up on their positions. Well, that tells you that uh, tells Williams that the new buyers are probably weak hands. In other words, when the black line, OK, goes up while the red line's going down. That's usually a sign that oil's about to peak. Sure enough, we saw this exact pattern happen four times, four times in 2012 through 2014, which he thinks is the analogous period. I tend to agree with him. Now let's look at the same data but for 2021. Look at this. It's the same pattern, the exact same pattern. Commercial hedgers, okay, net red, they are unloading the oil futures while hedge funds and home gamers have been buying. So you see the red going down, we have that, and the others are buying. Uh, This is precisely what we get before we hit a peak, before. Remember, we're trying to think about what's going to happen in the future, not now. Next, I want you to look at another one. Uh, This is uh, the Williams-Cotsie, which is the indicator that I put together to measure institutional buying and selling. This is a leading indicator, and it's now dipped into sell territory. That is a very, very strong negative. The Williams-Cotsie has been right far more often than it's been wrong, and we're in a bad situation right there. He come, he's come up with other indicators, too. I want you to check out this time period uh, with his Will WillVal valuation tool, which tells you when a commodity has gotten overbought or oversold. Right now, it's an extreme overbought territory. Maybe it's come up too far too fast. Uh, for Williams, when this indicator goes above the red line, which is right here, well, that's when you need to start looking for sell signals. It's been a pretty uh, accurate forecaster. Meanwhile, when it comes to the seasonal pattern in oil, the trend is not your friend at this time of year. Now, take a look. Typically, Williams points out that the second half of the year tends to be rough for oil. In a normal year, we get a seasonal peak sometime in June. I'm sorry, in July. This year, though, oil has been able to buck the seasonal pattern, with the price of crude roaring at a time when it usually goes lower. Going forward, Williams expects the seasonal pattern to reassert itself, as oil typically tends to go down through the end of the year. So, so far, it's been an anomaly, okay? But he's thinking it's going to... Go back to trend line. What about non seasonal patterns? Take a look at this chart, which shows the price of crude versus a forecast based on the dollar index, which is in red. Since oil is priced in dollars, they tend to have a pretty strong negative correlation. When the dollar gets strong, oil typically gets weaker. It doesn't take you can buy a lot more oil with the same amount of dollars. According to Williams, the dollar index typically leads crude by about 33 weeks. And if you go based on that correlation, it's also forecasting a decline in oil. This is the 33rd week. This is going to turn, change direction because this is going down. Okay? The red's the lead. Meanwhile, looking at the action oil, Williams has also spotted a 57-day cycle. He finds that the price of crude round trips from peak to 12 every 57 days, more or less. Right now, this 57-day cycle is also calling for a top right here. It's a lot of evidence, isn't it? So when it comes to the price of crude, the commercial hedgers are unloading their positions while speculation keeps ramping up. And according to Williams' various proprietary indicators, oil's gotten overbought, and pretty much every pattern he can come up with suggests that we're getting close to a peak. But, and this is a very big but, technicians also care about the trend. And right now you can see that oil's still trending higher. So when (laughs) might that trend change? Take a look. The red line on this chart shows you when a trend is likely to change. As long as this line is underneath the price of oil, OK, right here, As long as it's underneath the price of oil, well, then it's bullish and all the other charts may not be right. Williams wants to see the red line break out above the lowest low from the past four day, or five days. And we just aren't quite there yet. So he needs to see this go up, this go down. And then it's over. The bottom line, though. The charts as interpreted by Larry Williams suggest that oil could have a lot of things going against it in the very near future. He ain't looking for $100 a barrel. If it's not quite ready to peak in the next couple of days, well, let's see. But going forward, he thinks you need to be a lot more cautious about what has become the easiest trade in the book, the one that says crude will continue to rise. Joe in Florida. Joe. Hi, Jim. Uh, my son
4: said I had to do the obligatory boo oh, thank you. Thank you. What's going on? Jim, uh, uh, you've been high on the energy stocks lately. Uh, you know, um, Chevron and other. Right. I've Chevron. Of-
3: I like Chevron. I like uh, I like Pioneer. Uh, I like I've Diamondback heard- and, I, and I like Devin. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I heard you
4: mention uh, BP, British Petroleum,
3: which I own. Well, BP is good. I mean, you know, look, the trend's your friend here. I mean, oil is going higher. If oil goes down, then I think you'll find that you should have trimmed some BP. I'm actually in the mode of getting rid of some BP if it trades over 30. Let's go to Jack in New Jersey. Jack. Hey, what's up, Kramer? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How about you? Uh Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, Kramer, I own some Exxon, right? And I right. can't figure out why no one is talking about Guyana and Exxon's 19th mega oil find that. They're up to like 9 billion barrels of oil. So why is no one talking about this? And when do you think, uh, we're going to see this in the numbers? Um, and another I, thing also, another thing also being, being that Saudi Aramco is like six times bigger than Exxon now, do you see them possibly merging with, uh, a Chevron No, or they Conoco won't merge. And the reason why Exxon is not, uh, stock isn't trading higher is that Chevron's a faster grower. And people feel a lot safer in Chevron, particularly with that board change at Exxon, where we don't really know what's going to happen at that company. Uh, let's go to Judah in Maryland, please. Judah. Booyah to you, Jim. How's it going? Uh, doing like well. How about you, Mr. Judah? Marks. Doing well. What's up? Um, today, I'm calling about EOG. I bought 200 shares at $85 a month ago, and today it costs $95. Do you think I should buy more? No, I don't want you to buy more. Um, it, although I like EOG. It's a very well-run company. Uh, it's got a lot of crude, which is what you want here. But I, I don't think you should buy more. And I think that if the stock trades over 100, I think you probably want to go in the other direction. All right? The charges interpreted by the legendary technician Larry Williams suggest that the oil rally could be on its last legs, very contrary to what almost everybody feels. It may not be quite ready to peak just yet. It's got to go down below this and that up. But the chartist thinks you need to get a lot more cautious about crude going forward, which influenced my thinking about the last two callers, about EOG and BP. I think that makes sense. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with How How is the managed care company poised to prosper as we emerge from the pandemic? I'm talking to the CEO fresh off the company's earnings report, which looked darn good. And Facebook has its fair share of critics. But there's one new piece of the puzzle that is yet to be criticized. It could be a big opportunity for the company. Maybe it's biggest ever. I'll share what it is. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. last couple of weeks, all sorts of stocks have exploded higher. And while you hear a lot about high-growth tech names, you know, Tesla, Cloudflare, you know, the usuals, we've also seen some big gains in more slow and steady inexpensive stocks. Take Kramer, face Centene. That's the managed care company that specializes in administering government-sponsored health plans. In less than two weeks, the stock has jumped nearly 15%, including, get this, a 4.4% gain today after the company reported a really terrific quarter this morning. Centene delivered a nice top and bottom line beat with costs under control, revenue guidance was solid, plus Centene stock had gotten pretty cheap it's now roughly 14 times earnings, so the buyers were easy to please. Does that mean it's time to take profits, or could this be the beginning of a larger move now that the stock's broken out above $70? Let's take a closer look with Michael Neidorf, the straight-shooting chairman and CEO of Centene. For more about the quarter and what he sees going forward, Mr. Neidorf, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Great to be here, Jim. How are you?
3: Okay, Michael, the last time you were on, you talked about the idea that maybe the acquisitions are— uh, You can slow down, don't need them, uh, and you're going to start reaping the cash. Well, your operating cash flow of $1.8 was nearly double the consensus. Is this the beginning of when we can expect a giant return back to shareholders because of all the good buys that you made and now the rationalization of them?
4: I think, you know, I've said all along that we, we need critical mass in this business. Our acquisition is what we did to get to you know, a $1.25 billion, co- $125 billion company. Now it's time to start to leverage it. The cash flow this time, there was some, uh, some, some one-time issues where uh, pass-through monies and things of that nature. The cash flow is strong. The matrix is strong. It was a clean quarter. It's where we want to get to. It's the beginning of the value recognition that's in this company.
3: You know, you often talk about technology and how you have the edge. And it was so great in in the conference call, you actually talked about, you you gave an example of AI and what it means to keep costs down. AI uh, takes a nurse uh, going through a chart versus AI. I think if you told our viewers this, they would really understand why technology is keeping the cost of healthcare at centene down.
4: One well, of the examples I used was it takes a nurse, on average, 18 minutes to go through a chart to pre-authorize things. We have used it. We're using AI. We are able to do that same process with the algorithms we've developed in one second. Faster than the doctor can type in the request, we can say yes. And we're saying about 67 to about two-thirds of all requests are approved. Those that are not approved, we have a person look at, so we don't depend just on AI. But it's just putting the nurses to work and things they like to do instead of the monotonous chart reviews.
3: Well, I thought that was incredible. I'm sure there are many, many other examples. But what it certainly clears is that the idea that you can't make money serving the, let's call them, uh, Let's let's call them underclass. okay? I want to call because you and I both know that we've done well in life. There's a huge percentage of people in this country who have not been able to have the advantages and not have the opportunities. But and they deserve good health care. It is very clear that Centene is delivering that health care to them. You should be proud of that. But you have to be able to use every single means to keep these prices low for people. How are you able to do it in scale?
4: Well, I think that's, you know, using systems and the technology we have is so important. But it all starts with quality. We, we say, except for the grace of the Lord, any of us could be receiving our care this way, and we'd expect the highest quality with dignity and respect. Also, we recognize the highest quality is the least expensive. You do it the first time, do it the right way. We're dealing with the most vulnerable populations. And, you know, we need workers in this day and age, and they have to be healthy. So it all starts there, and we know it.
3: You know, another thing you did, there's so much wishy-washy. I speak to all these CEOs, They're so wishy-washy about uh, the vaccine mandate. I, some of them say, well, listen, the government's making me do this. A lot of people are uncomfortable. We don't. I mean, it's a, it's a public health issue, for heaven's sake. And you make it very clear, this is not a political issue. It's a public health issue.
4: You know, I, I, I was fortunate to hear on many occasions the King of Jordan speak, whose respect, most respected person the Middle East, he said once, I get up every morning and say, I'm going to do the right thing. And the right thing here is to protect those that can't be immunized, to protect the young children who can't be immunized. And the only way we're going to get through this thing is to have everybody vaccinated. And that's what we're doing. We're saying it's, it's it absolutely everyone that can be vaccinated should be. And uh, you know, we're in healthcare, and it starts here If we're not going to do it. Who is? Are we
3: through the vast, the vast majority of this terrible pandemic?
4: I'm worried oh, you know, no. we still have a lot of people who have not been vaccinated, which creates a host for the next variant. And the, the epidemiologists I work with say, if it continues, they're going to get worse. And the vaccines we have now may not work on them. So you know, I'm, I'm, I pray that we're through it. And I hope we are. But the only way I know we're going to really defeat it is to get everybody vaccinated. They can be vaccinated. That's the best way to assure ourselves that we get through it. Wow.
3: OK, well, look, I'm going to leave it at that because I think you're so right. And it, uh, look, I don't think this is a religious issue. It's not a secular versus no. it's not an underclass. It's not a red. It's a blue. It's about saving lives and getting on with things. And you make it very clear. And you're a great, great spokesman for the health business.
4: Jim, I just want to just add, you know, let's listen to the scientist. This right. is the safest vaccine we've ever developed.
3: Yeah, very much so. And you yeah, safer than that darn mumps thing that I took safer than (laughs) the polio shot that I took well, a little while ago. Anyway, Michael, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Great to see you. That's Michael Miller. He's the CEO of Centene CNC. You know I've been waiting for the earnings breakout. We just had it. Mad Money's back after the break.
5: Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The Lightning Round. Is next.
3: It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready, Steve? That's time for the light round! It's over, Tony in Florida, Tony! Hey, Jim,
4: good big booyah from South Florida!
3: Wow, we I over there, what's up?
4: Uh, Not much. I want to thank you for your um, new show that you have, or the new um, uh, thing to help us out with. uh, Uh, The Investment investment Club.
3: Thank you. We're really pouring. We're trying so hard to do a good job for you. I really appreciate it. How can I help? And
4: another thing, I want to thank you is that most people want to make money off of something. You just want to teach us, and I really appreciate that. I said that
3: Uh, I was in Mexico City the other day. I said my whole goal is to teach. I got a huge classroom here. I want to do well for everybody. Let me do well for you. What are you thinking?
4: Yeah, um, I have this stock that I bought after earnings because it missed it a little bit. And I'm a dog lover. I have dogs. Um, my daughter has dogs, and we both use Chewy. And um, I bought it all the way down to 62. And now it's coming back up. I don't know if I should reinvest Look, more. Look, we're in the same
3: it. boat. We, we use it, too, uh, particularly for toys. Uh, stock's down 24% for the year uh, because it's high-flying growth stock. I like it. I think you should buy more. I think it's in good shape. Let's go to Jared. In Washington, Jared. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I want your take on a digital consultancy called
1: Proficient, ticker PRFT.
3: Yeah, that's a very red hot business analytics company. We have too many of these. While Proficient may be proficient, I have to stick with Salesforce because that's lean and mean and been around for a long time. I know you need to go to Ittacar in Florida.
4: Car. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Oh, it's so good good to talk to you, Jim. I, I need your opinion on the Berkshire Hathaway B. I, I bought
3: uh, 10 shares about uh, a couple of years ago. You are I never going to go wrong buying the shares of Berkshire Hathaway, even after whatever happens to Mr. Buffett because he's got a great team. Huge cash flow, a lot of great brands. I want you to stay along that stock. Karen in Virginia. Karen. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm wonderful. I
0: need some guidance. I need some guidance on TMC. Mm -hmm. After I bought it, it tanked, and I need to know if I should get out all the way.
3: Canadian battery company. Uh, um, I don't have much surety that that's going to be the winner. Uh, I just don't think it—remember, there's not enough room for all these companies. We're starting to see companies getting shaken out. I don't want to be in with that company. Let's go to Dave in Florida. Dave. Jim, how you doing? Happy, uh, happy day. No, i to you. About LEV, Lion we, Electric. We like Lion uh, Electric. Uh, you know, this is another zero emission vehicle. Now, again, we're seeing the shakeout. And the shakeout says be careful with these names. Uh, even uh, be, you have to be careful with Fisker even, which either guy's doing a good job. So we're going to hold back. It's everybody wants in Tesla, and it's taking all the money away from the group. Let's go to Greg in Georgia. Greg. Hey, Jim. I'm calling about a gross fintech company spun out of errands last year. They crushed earnings in Q1 and Q2. They're partnered with Best Buy, Lowe's, Pet Jewelers, and others, and they recently acquired a small buy-now-pay-later firm. Analysts have a six dollars price target, but we're stuck in the low 40s. I'm talking about Prog Holdings PRG. I, 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 I don't know Prog Holdings. Miss to a lot of new companies, aren't there? I do not know Prog Holdings. I am sorry. I, I need to know more. Let's go to Matt in Alabama. Matt.
4: Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, I got a question about MicroVast. With Oshkos being a price investor and the UPS, I mean, the Postal Service but, contract going electric, are we buying or selling? No,
3: no, we're, we're, we're not buying any of these lithium battery companies. There's too many of them, and they're all going down. And while they may have a move back up, it is going to be an opportunity to lighten up, not be bigger. Let's go to Joe in North Carolina, please. Joe. Yes. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, you're up. All right.
1: All right. I was uh, calling that Jazz Pharmaceuticals. They bought uh, GWPH. And just. Yeah, I, I, look, I'm going
3: to be here. unmitigated and tell you you should buy this. I, they bought GWPH, and that is going to be still the only cannabis company that is going to get the medical recognition and, by the way, I don't see, oh, I don't see the federal government legalizing uh, cannabis like everybody said they would. I like Jazz Pharma. That was a good move, and they didn't overpay. Jared in North Carolina. Jared.
1: Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Calling about a cloud software company out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, quick shout-out to all my people in Wrightsville Beach down there. Okay. Uh, they're a fintech space, and uh, they're pushing their digital banking platform. So I want to get your take on a company called Encino. Encino is a winner. You
3: know, we had Upstart. We nailed Upstart below us hundred. Now this one is not taking off the way I wanted to, whether I expected. I want you to buy Encino, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round.
5: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: You do not need me to spell out all the reasons why Facebook is getting hammered here. Fairly or unfairly, the company's getting blamed based left and right. Instead, I'm going to talk about something positive they've got going on, assuming Mark Zuckerberg can deliver the metaverse. Now this is an amorphous concept. We don't really know what the metaverse will look like, except lots of tech CEOs keep telling us about this concept. It sounds a little something like out of the matrix, right? What we do know is that this Thursday, Facebook's holding its Connect Universe event where Zuckerberg will show us what his version of the metaverse might look like. And I bet you it knocks our socks off. Judging by the amount of money he's spending, I'm betting his vision wins out over others. So what do we need to hear on Thursday? First, before he gets into the metaverse stuff, I I wanted to talk about safety. Facebook needs to reassure us that they're getting more proactive about preventing people from using the platform to incite hate, violence, or even genocide. Something that actually happened in Burma. I don't know how they can make the platform safe or safer, but until we see a big push here, I know it's going to be tough to own. Even if my travel trust holds onto a piece of it, 120 shares bought at 64.50, stocks at 3.15, playing with the house's money. After that, though, what I care about is the new and glorious world of the metaverse itself, which I think can be the biggest force in tech for the next decade. I am not kidding. This is a concept I first heard about from the legendary Jensen Wong. He is the Renaissance Man CEO of the NVIDIA, which makes the chips that would power the metaverse, regardless of what it ends up looking like. Jensen told me a story about interactive virtual reality that sounded truly enticing. How you'll be able to get together with your favorite artists or writers or performers past, present, future, Beethoven, Brahms, Bach in a kind of virtual room. It's not that much of a leap to imagine that not you, but your avatar, could play basketball with LeBron or, yes, Kobe. Some sort of wild NBA 2K living and deceased game. I like to play Rummy Cube with my wife. Sure, I can play with it online, but it's static. I want to be in the room because she plays a mean game, opening and crushing me. I want to beat her in person. With the Metaverse, you can get the same experience by putting on one of Facebook's VR headsets, Quest. Great for when she flies the coop in the winter. Most important, I want to educate and, com- and I want more commerce. My wife and I sponsor the Baby's Heart Fund, a training program that teaches doctors how to do infant heart transplants. We've worked hard to try to pay tuition for doctors to learn how to do these transplants, but they obviously can't practice on real babies. In the metaverse, they can practice on virtual ones. I think it's going to be amazing. I envision learning Italian in the metaverse. I want to take the classes I never got around to take when I was younger from the best professors who ever lived without hurting my transcript. On the commerce side, we're talking about virtual malls where you can try things on a digital scan of your body and then get feedback from friends and family. It could be a small business bonanza with benefits from Facebook itself, I hope. I want to use this technology to experience concerts all over the world. Maybe learn how to fix a car, build a house or use a crane, drive a truck, play a musical instrument and, and not just be a hero playing the guitar. To make all of this happen, we need major players like Facebook to back software developers. They have to keep the prices low so that other companies have an incentive to participate. So creators have an incentive because this will not work without literally, I think, millions of creators. It is that big, people. It is that big. Now, of all these markets, I'm sure the gaming is the biggest. We already have virtual reality games, but the technology's never really taking off. Oh, the metaverse is going to definitely change that. If Facebook can deliver just on that, deliver on putting me in, take uh, take to interactive game, maybe Red Dead Redemption, then I think you'll feel mighty silly for selling the stock right now in response to last night's. okay, less than stellar quarter, especially since it really wasn't even that bad. And I believe they can deliver. I know this metaverse stuff sounds ridiculously pie in the sky. But when so many major tech CEOs are telling the same story, I have to believe that it's the real deal. And so is Facebook stock. If one Thursday Mark Zuckerberg really spells out what it would look, whether it's gaming, whether it's health, whether it's work, I don't know. But if he presents it right, then I think the stock's a buy and that you're going to want to be in it. I like to say there's always a bull market summer, And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx.